Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures, joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Trey Sirtis. Trey, good evening. It's a special After Dark episode of the Translate Your Doctor podcast as you and I try to figure out a consistent time to do this episode. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Today we are talking about patient education, Uh and I'm surprised a little bit it took us this long to get to this episode as we continue this series on what's wrong with healthcare. Because Mm -hmm. the lack of patient education is arguably the reason that we started Translate Your Doctor, the Mm -hmm. service, and it continues to be this humongous pain point that I feel that I think you experience when we talk to patients, when I talk to family members, which is someone has a life-changing illness, that's a term I use a lot, someone gets a new diagnosis, and they're just in the ether. We just assume that they're just going to figure it out and going to do a great job. So that's something I wanted to chat a little bit more about mm-hmm. uh, today. But before we jump in, as always, I like to get your perspective. And we try not to talk about these things in advance to have a nice organic discussion. Sure. I actually have no idea what the expectation is for physicians on the inpatient side. If you're diagnosing a patient with diabetes or hypertension or all the things you could be diagnosing them for, especially because you're at an academic institution that does see a lot of patients that don't have a good, don't have good support, don't have physicians. Like, how does that work? I mean, is there like, are you giving people packets? Are you giving people YouTube videos to watch? Like what, what's the expectation? First off, what's the general expectation? And then what standard are you holding Dr. Trey Sertish to? When you say expectation, do you mean expectation from the patients or expectation from physicians or other folks? Oh, all of the above. I think there's there's so much richness here. Like in general, what do you see, and then what do you what do you sense from the patients that they're sure. asking? And maybe it's nothing. Maybe they're just too sure. in shock. And then how have you tried to think about it in terms of evolving your own practice? So I'll try and remember those three questions. But uh, that's why you got me. I'm here for you. I got you. (laughs) So for patients, expectations vary because health literacy varies. And so understanding what an individual needs are just, I would say in general, though, most people don't know what they need to ask. They kind of have an emotionality to it, particularly if it's a new diagnosis, particularly if it's a complication of a known diagnosis. So diabetic ketoacidosis or DKA, too much acid in the blood in the setting of diabetes. You've had diabetes for a while, but then you have this problem or presenting with that major issue and a new diagnosis. That's what I think of like the double whammy, whereas you didn't know about this and you had perhaps one of the most serious complications of the disease. So depends on the circumstances, depends on the patient. Patients generally, again, are gonna emotionalize first, which is, wow, I'm just processing this thing that's changed me. I'm reckoning with the fact that my life is changing and sometimes for the worse. And I then, too, don't know what that may mean. And there's certain diseases that are well known amongst the populace. I think most people understand what diabetes is, even though they probably don't understand what diabetes is and or, you know, a heart attack or things like that. But there are very rare diseases. Somebody gets diagnosed with sarcoidosis or something like that then I think they're going to have a really hard time reckoning the emotionality and and sort of intellectualization of that. Meaning that I am sick. Oh my gosh, I'm sick. But what am I sick with? And what does that mean? And that speaks directly to your education, which gets into the expectations of physicians, which vary greatly. I joke that the extent that which most physicians are incentivized and therefore participate in patient education includes what most people write on their notes, which is counseled and educated, dot. And it's usually after morbid obesity or whatever issue and so on. It's like lifestyle, counseled, and educated, dot. 
And uh, that's a bit roasty on the parts of, I think, a lot of well-meaning physicians. But it is very, it speaks again to the incentives and disincentives uh, of patient education, which speaks to the third thing that you're describing, which is like, what is like the system in a whole, has the system describing this? And it's really just because if you're not incentivizing behavior, odds are you're not going to see that outcome unless you have very special individuals who value it. Speaking of special individuals, yeah. how have you thought about this? So you, <laughs> you know, something that we've experienced together in our, in our friendship is you've been out of residency now th three at time. Uh, four three years. years. Four, uh, four my years. gosh. Four years. Oh, wow. And you've evolved so much. I mean, there's a whole separate episode on how we don't equip new doctors to have the tools to, mm -hmm. to jump mm -hmm. into practice. And so you've built a lot of your tools yourself. And, and I think of what we're doing here together as one of those tools that we're evolving together. How have you evolved how you think about trying to bridge that gap? And obviously there's only so much you can do. You have finite time. So I don't want to put the weight of the world yeah. on your shoulders for right. making these gargantuan interventions with every patient. But the, maybe there are little things that you're doing. How do you think about that for, from your own responsibility and what you think your role is in that interaction? Yeah, I mean... As a right now purely inpatient physician, my continuity with patients is brief and intense. I joke about it. It's kind of like the one night stand of physician things. You just like it's a very brief, intense encounter and then you break off and you never perhaps see one another again. And but a lot can just like I think some one night stands, they can really like resonate with you. Like I met this person and I never forgot them, even though I'm married to this lovely PCP who I see for <laughs> 40 years. You still remember the good old hospital medicine folk who took care of you and stuff during your moment of need. Very touched by this analogy. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep this uh, stowed away. I love this analogy. I've never heard that before. It's wonderful. But what I mean is that because it is a limited time, it's hard to really think in my mind like, oh, well. I'm going to be able to shepherd this person through the entirety of their disease. That's not really, there are some instances, right? People who are at the end of their life, who are dying in the hospital, people who are reckoning with a major complication, sickness of a, of a friend or family member. There are opportunities where you can really capture the entirety of that experience. And hopefully it's the total experience, or at least it will be the end of their experience. And that can be extremely meaningful. But much of the time, I say somebody presents new diabetes, that's, I'm not going to be able to have substantial progress with them educationally and maybe i'm being a little hard on myself but you know what i mean over time longitudinally mm -hmm. but what i can do i hope anyways is do what translate your doctor is meant to do which is translate your doctor which is meant to be listen um just there are going to be a lot of things that we're talking about right now that i just want you to understand but there are also going to be a lot of things that i that you're going to need to understand about the system to be successful and if I can introduce them to those things, or at least make that a little bit easier, or at least make those unknown unknowns known unknowns, that they're like, oh, well, I know now that I should ask about that, even if I don't know it yet. Or I, I know, know where I, my gaps are. I exactly. know where my gaps in knowledge are. I know what boxes I need to check. Exactly. Like just, just changing that for people makes a big, big difference. So that's where I focus a lot of my education. If somebody wants very one-to-one -one education, which is what does this do? Why do I need this? What does this mean? What do I need to look for? That stuff is easy, relatively straightforward to talk about for most physicians. And so I think that, again, counseled and advised, counseled and educated comes to that. That's the very one-to-one -one interaction. But if Translate Your Doctor is trying to do anything, if like we're trying to think about everything, people are not problems. And so just talking about their individual problems is not enough. You really got to contextualize 
what that series that the person is going through. Yeah, the the two things. First off, I, I think that makes a lot of sense as as doing the best with a limited interaction, given that it's it's inherently transactional and, and, and as relational as you are, and I think I've seen firsthand and, and the way you describe, you do your best to try to make that interaction as personalized for the patient and contextualized and to set them up for future success, which is what I hear you saying, like trying to set them up for future success. I think the failing on the medical system when it comes to patient education is educating anyone about anything is not transactional. And real education and empowerment, especially with, here's the term again, mm. life-altering illnesses, that's mm. longitudinal. That's, that's repeated conversations over a series of time. And, and patients need to be properly connected with the resources that are most appropriate. So mm. I laugh when I hear this term of counseled and educated. It's like, no, you didn't. Yeah. How could you? I know. Could, I know. Ob obesity, counseled know. and educated. Like, I know. What did you do? What did you say? Say what you said. And, and like, I agree. And I'm, again, I don't think we're trying to roast those who do it because it feels very overwhelming. It feels Absolutely. help. You feel helpless as an educator, which is a physician. You feel helpless because it's a lifestyle problem that you're running into it. I mean, honestly, I feel like it would be how a police officer would be if they showed up to the scene of an accident, a car accident, and it was a drunk driver. And you and the person's drunk and you're like, I recognize there are big lifetime issues right here. And and I need to intervene because this has impacted somebody's life right now and endangered them. But it is a hyper acute situation and it's not something that I can do or I feel like I can do effectively given the circumstances. And I think that's what leads to counsel and educated, which is I know I need to do something about this. I, one, don't know, maybe, two, feel ineffective, even if I do know, and three, even if I'm effective, it's inadequate because of the time constraints yeah. and incentives that they can talk about. It's one of those great examples of what would it look like if a patient was writing their medical chart, and you hear about mm -hmm. movements, very progressive, very unrealistic for a lot of reasons, mm -hmm. for, the, for what the medical chart is really meant mm -hmm. to do. But it does help us bridge the gap on is what the physician's writing, what the patient would write on certain things like that. Like the physician's writing, counseled and educated. Like what's the patient mm -hmm. writing? If the patient right, writes that right. story. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like the no physician idea. said diet and exercise. Right. Read a book. Like, what's the doctor right. actually saying in that moment? And yeah. you and I can joke. But of course, for the for the listener out there, you and I both know that the physician is as much, or the care provider is as much in a position of having to do their best within a flawed system. The incentives and structures that we put in place for practicing medicine are incredibly challenging, and you experience this every day. And again, this is why we are here on this podcast having this conversation. You and I are in the midst of coming up with a curriculum to build a patient education resource to basically put what we think should exist in the world into the world because we see such a serious gap. Right now we're focused on congestive heart failure, but gosh, maybe we'll do 50 other different things because they're just there's no resource for a lot of these things. And of the resources that are out there, we haven't done a good job connecting really good resources to providers. Mm -hmm. So that providers, it, it would take less than 60 seconds for a provider to connect a patient to, mm -hmm. hey, there's this really great online class on diabetes. It's five weeks long. It's an hour each week, or it's 
at your own pace, five hours, an hour mm. chunks. It's $20. It's $30. Yeah. Yeah. I would even interrupt you there. And I would say just engaging somebody be like, what do you need? Because hmm. some people, yeah. I mean, because I, for instance, there are these famous and infamous handouts in the hospital where you can just type in and it's for your problem. And it just, it's been written before in lay language and it, it, it is in lay language. It is easy to read. It is useful technically, but is it applicable for every patient? Sure. I use them, but it's very, it's usually very specific circumstances where I recognize after talking with the patient with some time, I was like, ah, this person cares, not the right word. Everyone cares about their health. It's just that everyone manifests that very differently, but they are engaged in a way that, that they would benefit from that. And so to your example of, oh, well, your doctor could point you towards this resource. That is one path, but an excellent doctor, I think, is one who is like, I sense that you want to know. I need to probe and ask how you would learn and then shepherd you towards those resources. And then even more so, hold you accountable to those resources and to your health choices, forgive you when you fail celebrate you when you succeed and check in with you along the way. I mean, like that, that, and like that, I mean, it sounds really easy. Obviously it's like extremely challenging. Yeah. And, and, and this is, I think where it is fair to critique how we're building medical curriculum. Cause Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. you and I talked before briefly about shared decision-making. And I think Mm -hmm. this is where the shared decision-making movement Mm -hmm. has stumbled which is if shared decision-making is more than just a buzzword, because you and I talk about that a lot too, where you have these buzzwords that are, mm-hmm. that are meant to make you sound beneficent and progressive, but there's not- Patients con- first. Yeah, oh my gosh. But there's not concrete movement, right? And, and in any, here's the, here's the behind the scenes look to anyone who ever hears these buzzwords, is ask someone what specific actions they are mm-hmm. taking, what is different now than before you were undertaking shared decision-making because the piece that I think is missing is this programmatic approach that you're Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. around how do I cater the care plan to the patient Mm -hmm. a and B, Mm -hmm. how do I make this a longitudinal relationship where we have milestones where the patient has homework? Gosh, that is a, a fundamental reconstruction of what it is like, what it should be like to have these conversations. But see, then we're in a bit of a trap, right? Because Mm -hmm. I can almost know by definition, if you're writing counseled and educated in that note, we're not talking about shared decision-making because Mm -hmm. whatever shared decision-making looks like, whatever this longitudinal education looks like, the conversation of what sort of education do you need? Mm. You know this for a fact, man. There are a lot of physicians out there that cannot ask that question. And the reason they cannot ask that question is because if the patient hits them with an answer they're not prepared for, the physician's going to be like... Well, hey, I've got this one packet that I give out. So that's right. what I've got for you. Right. Or, or, and again, it depends on the, the security or insecurity of your physician, which are they willing to say, I don't know. Hmm. It's a quality that you really want in your doctor. You don't want a doctor who doesn't know. Hmm. You want a doctor who says, I don't know. Because what I mean to say is you don't want a dummy. You want someone who, who has an expertise, but you also want someone who recognizes their limits and can meet you and say, oh, well, like I sense that you need this and I understand the system better, hopefully, right? That's the ideal situation. And I'd like to get you towards your answer. I frequently say that with patients and I frequently teach that, I would say almost all the time, almost every day to learners of all uh, type to understand that context matters and 
answers are hard to come by. Definitive answers are hard to come by. And that's the same thing that goes for patient relationship with physicians. Yeah, I like that. I think it's really, that's really well said. I'm, um, I'm appreciating your comment about the dummy comment. A quick aside you and I haven't talked about mm-hmm. yet. My wife is 14 weeks pregnant on Friday after that. Uh, yeah. And on the checklist of things to do is something that says interview for a pediatrician. So and I, I was talking to my wife. Said, interview? What does that mean? What an interview? Yeah. Like, what, yeah. are you, what are you asking this person? And now mm-hmm. I'm thinking, ah, maybe that's the question. Hey, you a dummy? Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, are you dummy? But also, do I get a good sense from you? Could I have a relationship with you? I mean, absolutely. I, we joke. We well, I don't. I wouldn't say we joke. I think we we talk very seriously about. We joke about a situation we're very serious about, which is that you know, the physician can offer so much more than just an answer, and it's something that society has lost a lot of. Mm-hmm. That there's these lack of spiritual and community centers, no matter what your uh, beliefs are or your political affiliations. Like a lot of the things are caving out. And physicians, whether people love them or hate them, serve that for our society. They serve one of those purposes. And so interviewing uh, a physician seems very akin to like trying to find someone like, can I be, can I trust you? Can I trust you with my child, more importantly, and my first child in y'all's circumstance? And and that's what I was laughing to uh, my wife about, which was, it's so funny that we don't think about interviewing physicians like for ourselves. It's just, oh, like, there's your doctor. Go for your physical. But, of course, when it comes to a pediatrician, like, like on the checklist is like, yeah. you better go interview for pediatricians. <laughs> you better go find the right one, which I get. And it just hit me. I'd never seen the term interview a physician before ever, which I found uh, incredibly fascinating. Yeah. To loop us back in, something, yeah. that, something to connect us uh, to other conversations we've had is you know, one of the, I think, theories or philosophies on, behind Translate Your Doctor is developing curriculum and developing material specifically for high control mm-hmm. illnesses, which are illnesses and disease states mm-hmm. that where the patient has a lot of uh, control and autonomy on getting to a better outcome. The pa- there's a mm-hmm. lot that the patient yeah. can they do. They can participate in the outcome. Wonderful. Love that. Mm-hmm. And if you're dealing with a high control disease state, then the patient needs to be empowered. But I think there's this paradox in medicine where it is very, very understandable for the physicians to say, how, how dare the patient, and no one's saying this, but you get what I mean. How right. dare the patient go to WebMD and look things up? I'm the doctor. They don't need to be second guessing my decision making. But well, people do say same, that. <laughs> and in the same breath, they'll say, well, the patients just aren't making the right decisions. Right. The patients just aren't. They just need to take more personal accountability. And right. I don't know how those two things live in the same world, which is not giving patients the right resources or empowering them to make the best decisions for themselves and then also accusing them of not taking enough personal responsibility. And yeah. and here's the critique I'm making, and, and go with me here. Structurally, and, mm. and I think that's a lot of what you and I are getting to in this service and in this podcast is talking about making structural changes to our system and structural changes to the businesses that you and I work within mm-hmm. around this idea of you cannot have it both ways. You mm-hmm. cannot say that the patient's not taking accountability and then not give the patient a way to take accountability, which is empowerment and education. Yeah. I mean, I would say, yes, I a thousand percent agree. I think what you to kill two birds with one stone with this circumstances that you have to challenge physicians or healthcare providers that try and move away from transactional nature. Yeah. Because if your transaction is, I give you info, 
you get better. Then you're going to be upset when one, you can't give info and two, they go for that info elsewhere because you couldn't give it to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you change the reframe to, okay, well, I'm less about the transactions day to day or week to week or interaction to interaction, and I'm more about the interaction, or excuse me, the relationship, longitudinal relationship. That can be a brief, intense period of time like it is in the hospital, or it can be a long period of time like it is in the outpatient setting. And I think if you're thinking about that, you'll view, again, patients going for information elsewhere less as an indictment of your ability to give them to fulfill that transaction and, and, and more of just, well, what do they need in the relationship? That's what I would tell most people, because again, if people are going to WebMD or naturopaths or chiropractors or whatever, that like a lot of physicians just like to poo-poo, rightfully or not in some circumstances, what I push back on and say is like, well, what are you not fulfilling? If you were fulfilling that in their, in their life, they wouldn't do that. People are just trying to get solutions for what they need. And it's not always an answer. Sometimes it's just wanting to be heard or touched in the right way. I mean, like therapeutic touch is extremely important. And there's a reason why I think chiropractors excel at that. Why rheumatologists have close bonds with their patients. And so anyways, I'm not talking about one specific thing because it's never one specific thing. And to, but to mitigate this frustration that a lot of physicians feel and perhaps patients perceive with their relationship is that, hey, stop thinking about it. Like I give you A, you give me B and start thinking about is, hey, like this is a partnership and we're moving forward. And if I interviewed correctly, going back to what you're talking about, maybe this partnership will last for years. Maybe it'll only last for a couple encounters and you'll switch and find someone else. But you have to know what you're looking for because the difference between this and say dating, you notice I didn't talk about it like dating or relationship. The difference between that is because most people know what they want and know how to communicate with that most people how to communicate with others, but it's really challenging because the power dynamic is such in a patient physician relationship, they don't always know, you don't have enough information and you just have this feeling, you have this feeling like this person isn't enough. And that manifests as either moving physicians, not being compliant, going to WebMD, we're just throwing WebMD into the bus, but you know what, like that just represents Dr. Google and going there or looking to other people, but it's all for this to solve the same problem, the same pain, which is I need to feel heard and I feel my disease is defining me and I'm not, I don't have control over whatever that is. And that's a recurring theme here mm. around the idea of advocacy, which you touched on, helping to equip the listeners of this show with what are things they should be thinking about as they build these relationships, mm. how might they ask more engaging questions and, and challenge themselves with, do I really feel like I'm with an advocate? Do I really feel like I'm with someone that has my best interest at heart? And that is thinking about shared decision-making, that is thinking about good patient education. And I think most patients mm. that, I've, that we meet have wonderful relationships with their um, yes. doctors and think yes. their doctors are doing the best they can, even yes. if they're imperfect, right? All of us are in romantic partnerships with imperfect people, yes. and we ourselves are imperfect people, and we can be in phenomenal marriages mm -hmm. and acknowledging, ah, I'm getting so much more than I'm mm -hmm. losing, so to speak, with right. whatever shadows that are, that are brought to bear. Well, let me ask you this. In, mm -hmm. in your perfect fantasy land, what are the kinds of things that, that you wish you could just wave a magic wand and make available for patients, in, in, either in an outpatient environment or inpatient environment? What's the ideal state for patient education from your perspective? If you could run the world and, and enable whatever felt 
the most yeah. impactful. This is going to be very simple and perhaps too short-sighted and perhaps lead to perverted incentives, but that education, education of patients paid more. Let's <laughs> just that it, that it was, or at least it was incentivized in some manner other than intrinsic motivation and, and, and for those who really love to do it. It's again, not, perhaps I'm not thinking well enough into it, the consequences of that. But again, if we're incentivizing gallbladder removals right now and people take your gallbladder, you sneeze too hard in the hospital now. We do know that if you pay people more for something, more of that will happen. And so in my mind, I feel like that would be a, a simple way to do it, perhaps bluntly to do it. But if I could wave my, if this was indeed a magic wand, I mean, I think I would just want to transform most physicians into not only those who are intrinsically motivated by educating, but also effective communicators. Yeah. Because I think I meet a lot of people. I, I see them all the time. People will be like, Trey, I want to teach more. I'm really interested. I really, it, it motivates me. And, and I, it absolutely does. Those people aren't everybody out of the physicians that I see. And of those people, I can't give you a percentage, but not all of them are effective communicators. And so much of teaching is effective communication. And so if I could wave a magic wand, just make everybody like that. And then you'd have a lot of people motivated to teach motivated to advocate like we use so often and be effective at it because that's the key yeah that's well said I, I think that and i don't think that's too pollyannish i was curious because you're obviously in it every day and translate your doctor is another easy answer right it's like mm -hmm. oh just enable all these resources i think one of the things we lose with compressed physician time is allowing them to flex their artistic mu muscle. I think yeah. part of what makes you a, a really yes. great and interesting physician is that you have a very you have a big artistic streak. So you get a lot out of bringing unique qualities to being a physician. And I think it's the elements of being a physician that are more scientific, more black and white that that leave short the aspects of of working with patients that are meant to be a little gray, are meant to be a little squishy, are meant to be a little more Let's do a group visit. Let's do a therapy class. Let's do something different. Right. But because physicians have these thousand patient panels, 2000 patient panels, there are mm -hmm. just some really interesting things you can do with technology now. Think of, think of how many people you and I are able to touch just by mm -hmm. microphones and a camera and right. sharing these ideas that we're really passionate about and we're able to make a significant impact on on people's lives. Any physician could do that. Any physician yeah. could sit in front of a camera and say, I am tired of talking to, of giving a one minute talk about this topic. I'm gonna record 20 minutes about, every physician has something that, that they're really right. passionate about. And that's what I love because physicians right. are people and they have unique interests. Right. It's like, hey, get in front of a camera, do 20 minutes on, ketosis right. and how you're tired of patients asking you about keto and <laughs> here's my 20 minutes on keto and then right. you just point you just put that in your discharge summary it's like all right here's my youtube video that i threw up on ketosis from me your mm -hmm. friendly neighborhood yeah. primary care doctor yeah and, and patrick i think that's a good way to round out the episode because we've talked a lot about patient education i think that honestly the next episode should be discussing physician education mm. and how does it get to this result there's a lot of things we can talk about physician education that's itself its own podcast mm. but like how does it get to this because you talk mm. about oh i'm more i wouldn't say that i'm more creative but i'm more artistic perhaps than others and there's more people that are black white absolutely that's the case but there are very strong incentives and things that go along with who gets selected to go into medical school and what traits are necessary one could argue 
to be successful and the unintended consequences that result. And that directly impacts not only, I think, physicians and how they interact with patients, but also how creative they can be to do these things or feel like they can do these things, perhaps, perhaps even less execute on them. It's hard for me to infer, but I think that would be a great topic to talk about, which is physician education and how it manifests, how it gets you to how most of them educate, counsel and educate, counsel and educate. That's great. Well, that's a perfect uh, summary. Any last word that you want to leave on patient education? Anything before we wrap up? No, I would always just say again, that if you feel like you're getting insufficient education or counseling from your physician, say so, but say so in a way that uh, is not threatening per se to their, because everybody, all physicians, again, want to do their best, but just make it aware that this is what you need and you're, you've got to find the answer and you don't want to go to Dr. Cooley. You don't want to go to WebMD. You want to have a great relationship. And so asking, how can I help you get to the answer you need and may not know about my care? Because that's what I want to help you with if I can. And I think that if any patient told me that, I'd, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like that would make me perk up and pay even closer attention. So I think that that's a great step to if you're if you have an existing relationship and you feel like you're you want to take it to the next level or you feel like they're not adequately meeting your expectations now that you've listened to us talk about it uh, i think this is a great way to push them without threatening them because physicians can be so sensitive because we're working so hard and really putting our life on the line and when you get any sort of criticism i think it can really make them clam up so i think that being aware of that and but still being firm about your needs is going to be really valuable that's well said that's a good good last word Uh, as always i want to let folks know uh, if you want to talk to us if you want to send us an email ask a question you can find us at translateyourdoctor at gmail.com you can also visit the website translateyourdoctor.com go ahead and leave us a rating leave us five Mm -hmm. stars on it'll take two minutes leave us five stars on itunes say how engaging say check us out on youtube then you can say how handsome trey and i are (laughs) do a little bit it goes a long way also at translateyourdoctor.com you can sign up for our mailing list everyone that signs up for our mailing list gets trey's introductory 16 minute lesson lecture piece of education on living with chronic disease with three great takeaways that every patient should should have and it serves as a core philosophy for what we do here at translateyourdoctor.com. Trey, this is always fun, always interesting. Great job leaving a teaser for our next episode and let's uh, let's do it again. Thank you so much. See you man. Bye.